Canada's Department of National Defense is investigating whether former Canadian fighter pilots are helping the Chinese military after reports in Britain and Australia that Beijing was recruiting Westerners to train its own air force. The British government announced this week that it is taking steps to stop China trying to recruit China trying to recruit serving and former British military pilots to train Chinese ones. It comes again after the BBC reported that up to 30 former military pilots had gone to train members of China's PLA. The Australian newspaper reported that Australians were among the group of pilots and the Daily Mail, not always the most reliable source, said Canadians were also being recruited. Thus, I gather the investigation forces news in Britain, spoke with military historian and former Army Air Corps pilot Paul Beaver. I don't think there's any excuse for going to China and telling them our tactics, uh, techniques and procedures. And that's the thing that, that pilots and uh, other aircrew live by. It's how they survive. Any former pilot has, if he's got any sense about him, remembered his threat briefings. He's also read the uh, integrated review last year uh, and the update to that, which has been in the news, that China is a potential adversary. That is Forces News in Britain, speaking with military historian Paul Beaver. Uh, Well, in Britain, the Ministry of Defence issued an intelligence alert warning pilots against taking part in this. No word yet on when the Canadian military will announce any findings here. Joining me with more on this is Charles Burton. He's a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and a former Canadian diplomat in Beijing. Charles, thanks thanks again. Thanks for nice to have you back. Good to speak with you, Ben. So this was a this was an interesting story because I think something like this has gone on, not necessarily in the military, but it seems to be quite endemic in China. And all of a sudden, uh, out comes these reports, and it seems like there's a real scramble going on. What did you make of it? Well, I mean, it's completely outrageous that that the Chinese government would have access to recently retired um, members of the uh, uh, British and uh, and possibly Canadian military, as well as Australian in the sense that it's a it's an intelligence gold mine for them to be able to establish um, the shortcomings and and um, weaker points of the potential adversary if they're able to get these pilots to you know directly or inadvertently provide the British with with a means to assess uh, what sort of adversary the 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 British the the Australians the Canadians would be. And in time of war, you know, China does a lot of this kind of thing. Um, you know, we even see it with uh, with retired um, uh, politicians and, and civil servants. The idea being that, you know, people when they retire want to be able to do um, important and useful things. And China provides them with, you know, some some source of income. But I think a lot of it is really about stroking their egos and, and giving them a sense of importance and convincing them that they have a special relationship with China and all the time using them to try and siphon out information of strategic use to the Chinese regime. Um, you know, there's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous that that these pilots are permitted to go and work for a potential adversary. And we really need to have a lot more control over what people who have privileged information in the course of their working lives are able to do once they once they leave uh, government service. 
and uh, you know definitely going and be and being in a position where they could be compromised by a potential adversary is just uh, you know it just doesn't make any sense it at is, all. It is mind-boggling. I think what I meant is I wasn't surprised the Chinese tried. I was just surprised that uh, I mean according to these reports that thirty pilots had said yes. Apparently the the compensation is is pretty hefty, two hundred fifty thousand pounds. So that's about two hundred sixty thousand U.S. dollars. You know more than three hundred thousand Canadian. Uh, dollars that's a lot of money but the, as you mentioned they're not being recruited for their piloting i mean perhaps a little bit for their piloting skills but as you mentioned this really is a gold mine this is uh these are these are they're recruiting what they know not what they can not necessarily how well they can fly i think that's definitely the case i mean obviously the equipment's different and you know of course it's desirable to have veteran pilots uh, providing training but china has lots of those already so this is really about um taking advantage of a weakness in our system, you certainly won't see any former Chinese uh, military uh, coming and working for us. So, you know, that they'd never allow that to happen. So, you know, it is very, it is very challenging. How can we restrict the freedom of people to seek out a new career after they retire or tell them that they can't accept a generous job offer because, um, you know, it looks, it's clearly designed to 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 be buying uh, more than their than their training expertise, but but you know to get hold of information that they've come by in the course of their of their military training, and and you know pilots know a lot um, about what's going on at the higher levels, and and they debate among themselves the weaknesses of training and tactics and and their equipment. Um, we've just got to, we've just got to to put a stop to this, and and the fact that so many of these. Um, uh, former military pilots uh, have been engaged in this kind of activity does really call into question the degree to which um, uh, the Australian and, and British and Canadian intelligence services are aware of what people who have classified knowledge of military, of military secrets are doing um, once they leave the service. Post-career. We understand from the articles how this was being done. It was being done through an intermediary in South Africa, I gather. That would seem to be sort of the normal course of business, right? But uh, but you know this well. You, you, you spend a lot of time paying a lot of attention to China. Uh, how are these sorts of plans devised? Clearly, it wasn't just one rogue within the uh, within the PLA who said, hey, you know what, it would be great if we if we brought in a few Western trainees just to give our pilots a little more, uh, Western trainers rather, to give our pilots a bit more of a breadth of experience. That This is obviously something that would have been talked about, calculated, planned, and done, right, you'd think? Oh, I mean, I think it's all part of China's uh, Communist Party's United Front Work Department and Ministry of State Security planning. You know, they might even want someone like me who'd worked in the Canadian Foreign Service to come in there and develop um, a relationship and a feeling of trust and stroking me by telling me how... Uh, what a great person I am and, you know, making me feel less sorry about the fact that when I hit a certain age, they, they sent me out without having meaningful work to do. Um, but, you know, it's clearly it's wrong. And, and I think that for a lot of these people, they're gradually cultivated over time. And if they want to continue in the employment of China, they would have to be um, amenable to providing information to the uh, Chinese intelligence agencies that they really shouldn't. And this is normally done in a, in a very calculated and sophisticated way where, you know, you're, you're gradually edged over until you find yourself in a position where you're providing 
the enemy with information that you know you shouldn't, but by the time you realize what's happened, you've got in so deep, it's hard to get out. And as you say, the money that they're paying is pretty generous too, and people tend to, to, to want to continue to receive those checks. Yeah, it's hard to turn down turn down the money. We, I mean, I think we always knew that uh, that people of Chinese descent or Chinese nationals working abroad could be uh, could fall victim to the pressure. At least, I mean, to be pressured into doing things maybe they didn't want to do uh, or recruited. But in this case, it just seems to be pure money, right? I mean, here's here's a lot of money. Why don't you come work for us? Uh, I guess we have to depend on. You know, and I imagine that most people in the military uh, have 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 a sophisticated moral compass. But in this one, you'd have to rely on the moral compass, I would think. Well, I think the fact that they're targeting um, retired people is also part of that. You know, as I said, um, you you leave an uh, you know a stimulating career where you're doing exciting things with you know amazing uh, military hardware. And all of a sudden, you're told, thank you very much for your service and, you know, good luck with the rest of your life. And China gives you an opportunity to feel important and to be working in your area of specialty and still getting into airplanes, you know, and and training the next generation. It's It, it would obviously be very appealing, even if it wasn't about the, the money. You know, it's, it's just about the, making people feel important and valued. And yeah. I think that the psychological manipulation aspect is something that Chinese intelligence really excels at. And, and you know, frankly, they're just much more sophisticated in manipulating people than uh, than we are. You know, they. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've, I'm picturing their arrival dinner when they got there, the celebration, the photos of them up. You know, I could picture it. I could picture how much they would have been faded when they had gotten there. It's, uh, yes, it and is. I mean, no, typically yeah. being access to people who are higher rank than they really deserve and being given the impression that they're special and, and you know, and sophisticated and, and uh, understand China better than most people. And there's a pattern there that's repeated over and over again. And, um, you know, a, a certain proportion of people are seduced by this and end up uh, providing very valuable information for the Chinese of a, of a military intelligence component that's worth a lot more than the 250,000 pounds or dollars or whatever it is they're getting yeah. paid. Um, from what we've been hearing this week, Charles, from uh, Xi Jinping, um China's not not uh, not exactly extending any olive branches towards us. So, training their military seems like a, a decidedly even worse idea this week than it would have been even uh, a few years ago. Absolutely. I mean, in Mr. Xi's uh, speech that he gave last week, he emphasized that you know China should be prepared for some stormy weather, and he has a plan, the community of the common destiny of mankind, whereby China should become the dominant superpower on the planet in two phases, um, starting with 2035, and then to become the, the replacement for the, you know, the liberal world order dominated by the United States and like-minded powers by 2049, the 100th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. So, you know, this program, generously funded, is definitely uh, part and parcel of this. And, you know, you talk about the nice dinners and and the psychological analysis of the people who are spending protracted periods in China, which ones would be um, amenable to subversion by honeypot schemes? And could you get them to start helping out not only in analyzing the strengths and weaknesses 
of um, Western um, military um, doctrine, hardware, and training. But, uh, you know, what direction uh, is the West moving in developing uh, better defensive and offensive capabilities? You know, could you get these retired people to do some asking around among their former subordinates, uh, you know, just to just uh, just because the Chinese would like to know a few things? You know, the, the possibilities are, are pretty strong. And I don't think that China would be putting out the money and making all the effort to bring these people into China if they weren't deriving substantial benefits from it. The, I mean, the other issue is the, the lack of capability of our intelligence services to have been aware of what was going on until it really became as, as big as it's become. And, you know, our defense people are looking into it. Um, presumably that's because they really don't know if there are Canadians who have been um, co-opted into such a subversive scheme or not. And, you know, we should have known before they accepted the job offer in China and done something about it before the damage was done. Yeah, it does paint a much broader picture. I mean, there's uh, Alex Joski's just put out a new book. I know we, I was, you were, you were talking about this about sort of how it all worked in Australia and just how coordinated it is and how asleep at the wheel of many Western countries have been to this threat uh, of, of essentially allowing uh, allowing China to not not all of allowing the Chinese regime, uh, specifically the intelligence services, to, to come in and, and and take what they want or at least try to. Yeah, I mean, uh, Alex's book in, is entitled Spies and Lies, but its subtitle is How China's Greatest Covert Operations Fooled the World. And, you know, the fact that we just have not given the kind of attention and resources to um, what China's doing, and I think part of it is like the title of another book produced by a Vancouver-based reporter, Sam Cooper, is Willful Blindness. In other words, you know, there are elements in the Chinese regime who have got into our political class and convinced them that it would be a bad idea to up our, our game in countering Chinese uh, malign activities, intelligence operations, and so on, because that could be damaging to Canada-China relations. And if we did anything too uh, offensive to China, that we would lose trade opportunities and so, you know, there's a strong lobby within Canada of businesses who have lucrative arrangements with Chinese business networks who um, who um, counsel our government to to go easy on China and, you know, and not not counter their their espionage, their cyber espionage, um, you know, economic espionage and political espionage and not to not to interfere with Chinese operations in Canada to interfere with uh and menace and harass persons in Canada that the Chinese regime uh, finds uh, hostile to their regime purposes, like Uyghurs, uh, Canadian Uyghurs and Tibetans. And and then we've had the stories recently that the Chinese have set up police stations in Canada to, you know, completely floating our laws um, to, to um, increase these operations. And we just seem to be prepared to let it happen rather than take this matter much more seriously and have a coordinated all-of-government approach to put an end to it. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier, uh, right off the top, you know, uh, you don't imagine you'd ever see a Chinese pilot here training the Canadian Air Force. Imagine if some of the things that were going on here were happening in China, they wouldn't happen for, <laughs> it wouldn't last more than five minutes. Uh, Charles Burton, as always, thank you so much for your insight. Great to speak with you, Van.